Okay, so as I said at the beginning, we're going to take 10 minutes or so and address a few questions more specifically on the topics of identity, gender, and sexuality as we've been looking at this past four weeks. Um, we've never done anything like this where it's just like, I'm, we're not taking live questions, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not there yet. Uh, but I do, I did put out in an email for some questions, and so I have a few questions that I, I think would be helpful to walk through. Um, and I just, I want to be very clear not to, as we get into like very specific things, um, to give some biblical wisdom and some talk about some factors, but also uh, I don't want to just be sharing just opinions. And, you know, at time, you know, Sometimes my own conviction towards something may not be a, uh, a, a hard and fast, this is what all Christians should be doing. There's, there's much of those things. Um, and there's room for conscience, matters of conscience, um, especially on some of these things, it, it, when it gets down to the specifics of how do we, how do we deal with this. So I just want to say that up front. Um, I'm not so much saying here's what you need to do in every situation, but here are some things that I think should be pretty clear from Scripture to, to consider. Um, Okay, so uh, three, I think we got three, three or four, four questions here. Um, so the first two are very specific. Um, so the first one is, how should we think about attending a same-sex wedding? So if you, didn't, if you weren't here the last four weeks, this might be just coming kind of out of the blue. There's a lot of context in the last four weeks, so I would encourage you to go listen to those sermons on the website. Um, yes, but... How should we think about attending a same-sex wedding? And, and the first thing we have to do here is talk about how, would we, how should we approach and think about our relationships with those in same-sex relationships. And the answer is in much of the same way that we think about our relationships where, with anyone where there are aspects that are out of line with God's ideal, which is everyone. Um, but in that, I think the most important factor is whether they claim Christ or not. What do they claim about Christ? Do they claim to be belong to Christ, be under Christ's lordship or not? If they don't, we approach them in much the same way we approach all of our friends who don't claim Christ. We love them as image bearers, and we want them to know Christ. Our goal isn't to talk to them about any particular sin. Our concern isn't to talk to them about their sexuality. Our concern is that they would come to know Christ. And so we work hard to pursue them, to love them, to, to talk to them, be involved in their lives and pray for them, and be a friend to them. And in this, we push back against the lie that to love and care for someone, you have to affirm everything about their lives, which I've said a number of times uh, is, is just asinine. Like, you're not in a relationship for five minutes with somebody before you find something that you don't affirm in their life but you commit to loving them, and you commit to being in relationship with them. If there is a claim to Christ, it is often more difficult. And so on the one hand, we are to bear with one another, to let love cover over a multitude of sins, to not magnify the sins of others and decrease our own. Um, Rosaria Butterfield has a, has a kind of humorous little saying where she says, love the sinner, hate your own sin. And I think that gets at some biblical truths pretty well. Um, it's a play on the hate the sin, love the sinner, but 
Love the sinner, hate your own sin. Don't make much of everyone else's sin and ignore your own. Um, at the same time, a Christian's attitude towards sin is to be one of humility and repentance and fighting against it, putting it to death, even if that lasts your whole life. We're continuing to do that. Um, a Christian's attitude towards sin is not one of embracing it and celebrating it. Um, we are actually, in some sense, to judge, and that's Paul's word, as a passage I'll read here, in, judge those in the church in the sense of speaking the truth in love about ongoing, unrepentant attitudes towards sin. Not like sin hunters, like, oh, let's go out and find every sin in someone's life. That's not the, what's going on here. But I, I think perhaps the most relevant passage is 1 Corinthians 5 in this, which seems to be one that we so easily forget. And we're not going to unpack everything here, but let me just read it. Uh, do you have that, Ethan? I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world outside of the church, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with, and, and I think in context what Paul means here with associate with is associate in the sense of giving affirmation to their, their faith. I don't think he means you can't have any relationship with these people. He will say, don't even have a meal with, but still, I think what he's saying is, don't associate them in a way that you're, you're affirming their faith when everything in their life seems to go against that. Be careful what you affirm about someone who is claiming Christ, but con continually, repeatedly, their life claims something else. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? That's not our job. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So the situation here is actually a, a man who is sleeping with his father's wife going on in the church, and the church was not doing anything about this, and seemingly even proud that this was happening in the church. So Paul is saying, don't keep affirming this man as, like, everything's all right here. Like, this is not all right. Um, judge in the sense of, let's pursue this relationship. Let's, let's be clear. Um, let's be clear about what Christians ought to look like increasingly over time, that there's repentance for sin, that there's a hatred towards sin, and... If there is not that, after many times of pursuing that, then you have to, you have to be clear of, I'm not sure you know what claiming Christ means. Again, this is a process. This is not of like quick pointing fingers and making quick judgments. Um, Matt, uh, Jesus lays out a, a representative process in Matthew 18 about go talk to your brother first. If you've been sinned against, bring somebody else. Then, then after all of this, bring the church. And even after all of that, if there's no, like, repentance, then stop calling them, stop affirming their faith. 
Okay, there's a lot more that we could say about that, but I think that passage is relevant here. So one, on the topic of weddings, I'll give you a couple factors. It seems to me that a wedding is a celebration. Now we might, I, th I think there's room for, for matters of conscience here, but it seems to me that a wedding, at least in our culture, is a celebration. It seems that it is set up to celebrate something. And so, specifically on the question, is a same-sex wedding something that we should be celebrating? I think the clear answer to that is no, if we're clinging to the biblical truth. I don't think that necessarily means we can't have any part in the wedding. Uh, I'm not prepared to make a, this is the, a hard and fast rule here, but I think that's a significant factor, is that a wedding seems like a celebration, and I think we need to be careful about what we're celebrating. So I would say one aspect in that is there's a spectrum of what, are, what is our or might be our involvement in a same-sex wedding. Are we the officiant? Are we marrying them? I, I feel pretty strongly that I, I could not do that. I don't think a Christian should do that. Are we a part of the wedding? Are we just attending the wedding? You know, I, I think you can go, there's a spectrum there of where it's clearer on one end and maybe a little less clear on the other end. Um, another factor is the, is the matter of witness. How will our presence be interpreted? So if we are at, at a wedding and other people that are there, there know that we are Christians and they see us there, are we going to have the opportunity, like, are we wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian, I love this person, but I don't affirm of this wedding, I don't think you're going to wear that t-shirt to the wedding, um, are you going to, you're not going to be able to communicate, like, your, your position there, and so how will your presence be seen? I think that's a factor to consider. Now, I don't think that we have to live our lives by what others will think about us, I think it's something to consider in, our, in a matter of giving witness, but I don't think we have to be controlled by that. And then I think the other factor is whether it's Christian, whether the people getting married in the same-sex wedding are Christian or not. I think that's something to consider. Uh, the argument is certainly stronger for those who claim Christ but are celebrating a marriage that is against God's design. But what if they make no claim to Christ? Um, I, I, yeah, I think those are the things to consider. Um, there's a couple people, and I'll just give a couple examples. I'm not going to name names, but there's a couple families in our church that have, have walked through these things very um, faithfully and diligently and with lots of prayer, um, and in different ways, though. So I just want to put them before you as kind of examples of um, things to consider. So uh, one couple in our church had a family member who was marrying uh, somebody of the same sex, and they have a relationship with this family member, and the family member knows their convictions on this. Um, they chose to not go to the wedding. However, they went out of their way to show their desire to still be in relationship with them, with the couple. They flew out of state to go spend some time with them. Um, they express, they, they want to be in the relationship, they care for them, they just can't celebrate the wedding um, itself. And I think that was very 
wise and, and diligent, and I think that is one possible way to go about it. Um, another family in the church uh, was, uh, she was asked to be in the wedding, and they, neither of the partners were Christian, had any Christian conviction, um, and they, uh, they were able to explain the person, the, the Christian was able to explain their convictions well, like, like this, is, this is not what I think God's ideal is, but I, I love you and want to be in a relationship with you. So they chose to go to the wedding, um, but it was, it was very clear like what they were and weren't communicating by, by being there. So there are a lot of factors. I think those are some things to take into consideration on that um, Second question, should we use preferred pronouns when they differ from someone's birth sex, they, them, or when they, perhaps somebody changes genders and transition? Um, again, I'm not going to pull out a Bible verse and say, here's what you need to do. Um, we don't have that, but there are biblical wisdom, biblically derived wisdom and truth to consider. And so I think probably the first thing that comes to mind is just truth speaking, uh, we, should, we should seek to speak the truth and not lie in all things. Um, Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So I think that is a factor. What are we saying? Are we saying true things? And so if you go the route of not using preferred pronouns, etc., I think, you have, uh, I think you certainly have the right to do that as a Christian, but I also think we need to consider the attitude with which we do it. We should not be arrogant and self-righteous about it. We should, again, go out of our way to, to affirm love. We have to work extra hard, take extra initiative to express love. Again, show that you can love without affirming everything about someone. Um, Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Obviously, there are factors that don't depend on you. You can't control how people will respond. But so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all and um, live with gentleness and respect. Um, another factor is showing love and compassion. And so even if you can't in good conscience use preferred pronouns, it is loving to consider how that, how that is going to come across, right? Like, truth speaking isn't just, well, I'm just going to say the truth and I don't care how it affects you. Like, speaking the truth in love means actually loving, too, and to think about how your truth is going to be received. And you don't have to offend just for offense's sake. So we should care about people's feelings, but we don't ultimately submit our definition of love or truth to however others might respond or feel about it. And so I would say we certainly have the freedom not to use preferred pronouns. The question is, do we have the freedom to use them? I'm, I feel like this is, <laughs> I don't like saying I feel like as a pastor, but we are wading into some ground where I don't want to make a definitive statement if it's not clear from Scripture, um, that this is a secondary issue that we can perhaps disagree about, although I certainly lean one way. 
There may be situations, I can think of a situation like, perhaps in work situations, where you're unable to explain your convictions. And you're unable to share why you're going the route you are, why you're not using, appearing to be very unloving. And unable to explain that, at least for a while, um, where you may choose to, to use them. The other thing that I, I think is, can you find another way? Can you find a way to not offend necessarily, but also speak truth and just use their name? Um, you know, we don't have to go out of our way to offend. We don't have to go out of our way to remind people of their sin. Like, just constantly just reminding of that. We, we, we don't need to be dishonest and pretend right is wrong and wrong is right, but we should also seek to, to care and love. Okay, those were kind of the, the heavy ones. Happy to take questions in another time if you have follow-up questions on that or just discuss that. Um, a couple of a, a little more, I don't know about lighter, but a couple more things. How do we teach and prepare our kids on matters of identity, gender, and sexuality? And I, um, I, I, I don't have anything like... Um, like super surprising to say here is you you raise your kids to fear the Lord you love them well you forgive them, you confess your sins to them you pursue them, you enjoy them you spend time with them you teach them biblical truth who God is and what he's done you teach them what successful Christian life looks like which is faithfulness in all things you consider who is influencing them Take advantage of the formative years in your life, in their lives. You invite questions. Be, a, be open for all and any questions. Share the gospel with them. Pray for their salvation. And then prepare them to live in a world that's not going to share all their convictions. As they grow up, they should expect that the world will be hostile and not share all of their convictions in many areas, and that they can still love and have relationships with those they disagree with. You can do that. Finally, how can we create a healthy church culture and environment around these matters? And just a couple things. So on the one hand, we, it is my hope, and I think it is, biblically wise for us to be willing to be honest about our struggles and temptations and sins and weaknesses and difficulties and to share and to share those burdens with one another not with everybody but within the church body to be honest about those things and let the body of Christ do its work to encourage and build up and carry burdens and strengthen and to show grace so don't isolate and do it alone don't consider any sin that you have to be un, you know, just beyond the pale of being able to be brought up to a brother or sister in Christ. Don't do it alone. But then on the other hand, let's be good listeners. And when somebody comes to us and confesses sin or struggles or weaknesses, um, be a good listener. Don't immediately feel the need to, to say everything that needs to be said. 
If somebody's confessing sin to you, they don't need to be reminded that they're sinning. They, they already know. Um, show them grace. Um, and then let the Holy Spirit do his work. Don't feel like you need to be the Savior. You need to do all of the work of the Holy Spirit to, to change someone. You can't. You can be a means of that, but let the Holy Spirit do his work. Allow questions. I hope that we are a context that allows questions, that we don't just rebuke and don't allow certain questions. We don't give canned answers to stop conversations, but we listen well and work through things well with one another.